This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Nick Blair, founder of Midnight Health. It's a digital healthcare startup on a mission to develop a complete healthcare ecosystem solution for patients. It's a virtual healthcare service proposition. And Nick shares the journey into healthcare and health tech, having come from a successful digital agency and marketing background, and his further thoughts on the power of branding and specifically sub-branding to speak with patients on the types of issues they're interested in whilst delivering digital first and more importantly, low barrier to entry healthcare services for them. To this end, we unpack what two sub-brands are currently offered to younger males and females, respectively, in support of a number of key and relevant healthcare issues that has resulted to date in having seen over 14,000 patients since launching in November 2021. We also look to the future with their soon-to-be-released Hub Health, a microbiome precision health strategy, and the potential with CBD oils to support chronic disease. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Nick. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks, Yanni. Thanks for having me. No, it's a real pleasure to have you on. I'm excited to talk about Midnight Health and because you, you know, you're doing some really wonderful stuff and I think you bring a fantastic confluence of skills together in your team in, in also moving forward with your vision. So I'm really excited to unpack that. Um, but I know that you are... I've had a bit of a journey in uh, basically coming from a uh, parallel industry and uh, moving into the health tech and healthcare sector. So I wonder if you could sort of give us, you know, the the cliff notes for uh, for your journey. What what sort of led you to building a, a healthcare health tech startup? Talk to me. Yeah, so uh, I guess look, I don't come from a healthcare background, right? So um, I guess that's that's why the story or the the journey to to get there might be interesting, but. Um, I guess I come from a background of uh, more of an entrepreneurial uh, background, experience in scaling and building uh, digital businesses in particular. Um, got to the point of exiting my last company, and I guess well, you know, surveying the landscape of industries and opportunities uh, where I thought that you know there was still opportunity to have a really big impact, and um, kept circling back to healthcare and looking at the challenges that we all know exist within this industry and how digital technology can solve those and. Um, was in the process of, I guess, building out the plan for this business when we went into the first lockdown in March 2020. Uh, and then from there, you know, I guess that was kind of all the stars aligning to, in terms of timing and seeming like the best opportunity to move in the healthcare space. And uh, I guess from me, you know, from my perspective, you know, I find this space really exciting uh, because it's one of the last industries that uh, to evolve and to, um, you know, adopt and innovate with uh, digital technology compared to um, I guess what most other aspects of our lives have. So um, for me, it's a really exciting space, and I guess you know only the start really of the journey in terms of you know truly bringing it into uh, a digital environment. So um, yeah, that's kind of what set me on the path to to launch Midnight Health and uh, and yeah, move into the healthcare space. That is um, too short a summary, I think, Nick, because um, you've had some success in your previous business. Uh, you're a young entrepreneur uh, in the digital marketing space. Uh, in 2019, I think. Um, so well done on that. 
Um, how important do you think, you know, health tech and healthcare, it's kind of what I've been at now for nearly 12 years, probably 13 years. And what I've seen is that there's a bit of an eclectic field of founders out there. There's, there's those who come out of healthcare and those who don't. And, um, you know, people like you and I aren't healthcare providers. We haven't come from the front line, so to speak, uh, in terms of healthcare. I know my reasons for how, how I got into it, but was it about, I guess, your journey in digital agencies and marketing um, how did you become aware of health and in particular the, I guess, the problems and or opportunities that perhaps you thought, you know what, I can do something about this. My background really equips me with everything I need to make a difference here. Look, I think as you go through a journey of building businesses in general, um, you know, most people start with failures in the beginning. Uh, you know, you launch multiple things and uh, you have the challenges that come with that. And I guess in the early stages, in the early years, you don't know a lot about how to run a business, but um, you're ambitious and you're probably naive to some extent. And so, you know, I think over time you become better at, at building things. You become better at understanding how to solve problems, building business models, understanding how you can scale teams and technology uh, to be able to deliver that. And I think ultimately I've kind of reached the point or reached the point before launching Midnight Health in my career where uh, I guess I had had some successes as you mentioned, and gain a lot of skills along the way, which are applicable to uh, bring into other industries. And so for me, uh, you know, moving into Midnight Health and after, I guess, previous success with my last business, uh, you know, I wanted to do something um, that was much bigger than I had done before and, and that tackled even bigger problems and challenges and, and uh, I don't know, set my, salt, set my sights on, a, on some ambitious goals. And healthcare for me stood out by far as the industry that, had the biggest problems to solve, um, also the most complex and the most challenging and funding models that don't necessarily work well with digital health in, in some regards. But uh, for me, that also created a, um, you know, the perfect opportunity to come in and, and have an impact and make a difference and build you know, a, a big business that solved a lot of problems and helped a lot of people along the way and, and ultimately you know, had some meaning to what we were doing as well. And so those were, yeah, there's a few key things like that that were important. And I think from my perspective, I've found to date that coming into the industry without a healthcare background has been beneficial um, in most aspects, but I also saw it as being very important to surround myself with the healthcare professionals and clinicians along the way and bring those people on board into our team as fast as possible to fill those gaps. Um, but yeah, I certainly think coming at it with a fresh set of eyes has been beneficial in an industry that I guess has notoriously been pretty slow moving. So yeah, I think uh, I feel I'd like it to be beneficial, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I, you know, my uh, personal perspective and those, uh, those people who follow this show um, probably heard this number of times, but uh, I, I was experiencing what it's like to be a patient and equally a customer of the healthcare uh, industry um, broadly. And, uh, and that's what sort of opened my eyes to some of the problems and opportunities. And then when I started to uh, do more formal analysis and research into the space, you know, there were sort of um, things that sort of drove me down Right, and this sort of you know goes back to um, you know, well before even the words digital health were uh, uttered, you know, generally in, within the industry. Um, but um, having said that, uh, I was I was reading uh, I think one of the press um, releases that you did uh, um, since you've started Midnight Health, and and you talked about COVID and what that exposed, or moreover the government's uh, restrictions and the interventions in the economy. Um, uh, what what that identified as far as um, problems and weaknesses with the way that healthcare operated. And can, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the some of the insights and, and research, I guess, that you unpacked at that point in time? Look, I think there's, I think COVID has exposed problems that already existed, right? And it's only exacerbated 
um, the impact of those on our community when people um, didn't have access to care. They didn't have the ability to book an appointment. They uh, were no longer allowed to leave their house to get access to healthcare. Um, things like that uh, only exacerbated problems that already existed within um, the healthcare industry. Uh, you know, the fragmented ecosystem that already exists. Uh, you know, people who live in regional or remote areas are already having challenges in terms of being able to access GPs, uh, you know, being able to access specialists, you know, makes it even harder. Uh, and so you know, we went through the period of, I guess, understanding a lot of research around what are small, immediate problems, uh, you know, things like access to emergency contraception. Uh, you know, when we launched Yuli, we have launched Australia's first and still only emergency contraception delivery service. Uh, you know, that's a problem that existed uh, in terms of you know, women of all ages, I guess, having to go to the pharmacy in what was you know, a pretty uncomfortable experience in some cases. So there's problems like that which already existed and we set out to solve those and create a better patient experience. Uh, but I think the other, you know, the other more broader problems within healthcare that, uh, that you know, we see straight away as soon as the as COVID pandemic unravels is, you know, not having e-prescriptions, uh, you know, a pretty poor access to online uh, consultations or digital healthcare services, uh, you know, medication delivery. And again, as I said, it, it only became more difficult for people in regional areas to actually access care. And um, there's a lot of problems like that that exist within the system that, you know, we've kind of set out to solve as um, as a challenge for ourselves. Yeah, I think they're really, really key observations because, uh, and I like the way you use the term exacerbated because uh, I think it's well known uh, at a system level how fragmented healthcare is from a, um, a patient experience standpoint. Um, and I always, always throw in that individual service providers in healthcare do a pretty good job. So, if, you know, if you only have had to go to that one place to get healthcare, it's a pretty good job. But when you're working across uh, disciplines and you have to move from uh, one service provider to the next, that's where the issues start to compound as far as the, the fragmented nature of uh, healthcare. So I, I guess with that sort of um, background, uh, tell us a little bit about um, starting up Midnight Health, you know, um, what is it? And um, and uh, break down, I guess, the model that you currently have and that you foresee going forward. Yeah, so uh, I guess, you know, we're ultimately a patient-centred uh, digital healthcare company. Uh, and so we are on a mission to build a complete healthcare ecosystem for managing your health. Uh, so, you know, one of the key points that you brought up there was around fragmentation of healthcare and people or companies that do a great job of providing a single service. And, you know, we ultimately, in terms of our current product offering, fit into that basket. But, you know, we have two brands that we've brought to market using our platform. Uh, there's Yuli, which is our women's healthcare brand, and Stagger, which is our men's healthcare brand. Um, and both of them in their current state offer... Um, telehealth prescriptions and medication delivery for a range of things such as um, contraceptive pill, emergency contraception, um, you know, herpes treatments uh, in the men's brand, it's things like um, hair loss treatments or uh, erectile dysfunction treatments. But our broader view and our longer term vision is in building that complete healthcare ecosystem because I, in the same way that you just mentioned, believe that the you know, majority of digital healthcare companies in their current state are further contributing to a fragmentation of healthcare and and making it more difficult when we need to access 10 different platforms to um, get 10 different methods of care. And so our longer term vision and the roadmap and pathway that we're on right now is to continue building more and more capabilities and integrating products and services within our environment so that we can become um, kind of the center point for managing your health. Uh, and that's how I view over time, you know, we have the biggest impact on the healthcare industry and actually making a positive impact on um, the overall health outcomes of individuals. And, the, and I, I think you were saying there that you've got these um, sub 
brands. Um, yep. tell, tell me more about that. So you sort of got this master brand called Midnight Health um, and that's about sort of, you know, your I guess your, your mission in a sense is to, you know, connect the dots to um, make it a, a better patient experience, uh, lower those barriers to entry, um, enhance sort of clinical outcomes. Um, but it sounds as though you've picked um, you've picked some niches in terms of on on one hand there's sort of that you've got all of the population covered in terms of those two sub brands but you're sort of uh, is it fair to say that's sort of a, a subset of the population in terms of demographic age group um, etc. Um, tell me more about the sub brand strategy and how you see that unfolding over time. Yeah, so for us, I mean, you know, like 2021, we're a relatively new business, right? Uh, so you know to even going to the story of launching Midnight Health, uh, we back in February uh, 21, we launched Yuli, which is our women's healthcare brand. And for us, leading up to that moment, uh, was to try and identify uh, where was the best opportunity to to launch a direct to consumer healthcare brand uh, to gain traction and start you know solving some of those immediate problems that we saw. Uh, and the women's healthcare space for us was definitely uh, you know the first opportunity in the area where we saw the biggest. Um, disconnect, I suppose, in terms of service offering and, and what uh, patients or customers were looking for. So we launched Yuli first in February uh, and gained some traction with Yuli, uh, focused on making sure that the platform worked the way that it should, um, and then went about building a men's healthcare brand, Stagger, uh, which launched off the back of the same platform. So we launched Stagger in August, focusing on men's health. And so, you know, part of that was leading into raising a capital round, gaining traction across both of those brands. And so we um, raised a $4 million capital round in November last year uh, from NIB, the health insurer. Uh, and so then our focus from here is now continuing to build out the team, build out the capabilities once we've got initial traction across those two brands. And so we actually have a third brand uh, that is going to be launching next week, uh, which is called Hub Health. Uh, and so Hub is kind of the third brand that um, allows us to cater to a more broader demographic. It's gender agnostic. Um, it's probably if I will say more suited to the complete healthcare ecosystem as we start to move into chronic conditions and uh, reaching a point where families can have accounts within our platform. And so what will happen is that, you know, Yuli and Stagger will cater to a younger demographic uh, with the tone of their voice and, and the way that those brands operate. And then we'll have Hub, which uh, effectively captures the rest of the market. Uh, and so those three brands allow us to, you know, they're ultimately marketing vehicles to bring people into a single uh, back-end platform. Uh, where customers have access to uh, all of the products and services that we provide, where it's it's personalised to them as an individual as opposed to the brand that they came in on. Yeah, it's really great. And I, uh, I guess just uh, given the uh, – it's about a week away just for those listening to the recording. Um, today for us recording this is July 21st, Thursday, July 21st, the uh, 2022. Um, so by the end of July you'll be uh, up and running with the new brand. Uh, is that, that fair to say? Yeah, on track. Good to hear. Um, so let's talk about branding. Um, so you've got Yuli, Stagger, and now uh, the, the new brand coming out is um, Hub. Um, Yuli is targeting um, women uh, and niche women's issues, um, making it easy to sort of uh, access those um, services. Um, Stagger is targeting men with niche uh, male healthcare issues. What, tell me more about the the branding strategy. Why Yuli, for example, for women, and why Stagger for men? What's what's some of the brand story? Uh, so look, Yuli is um, means a plural of you, effectively. So you know, Yuli, we're trying to ultimately work for 
women and, and be a voice for, for young women in particular and talking about issues that uh, I guess aren't often spoken about, you know, things around sexual health and body positivity and, and trying to uh, really become a brand that leads that conversation. Um, so, you know, Yuli has established a really strong brand on um, platforms like Instagram and TikTok, uh, you know, where we go through educational videos, uh, you know, talking about things like sexual health and uh, and other taboo topics, I suppose, which which often actually lead to our posts being taken down, um, which I find quite interesting. It's interesting navigating the, the things that platforms like Instagram think are okay versus the things that they think are not. So it's, um, yeah, oh, we, it, it's We really could spend hours challenge. talking about that one, Nick. Um, the, yeah. the amount of censorship uh, happening on those platforms at the moment is really questionable. And uh, yeah. But anyway, let's... Let's, let's not get into that because that will open up just a really <laughs> wide – I'll have to get a bottle of scotch or something, some wine. You know, it's, it's, it will it'll, it'll need something to soothe the pain that I'm feeling with all this like um, political correctness restrictions. You can say this but you can't say that. It's, it's getting out of control. But let's, let's – Yeah, we – Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> I was going to say that um, Janet who, who drives a lot of the um, content strategy and social media strategy for Yuli um, certainly spends um, – hours <laughs> hours and hours crying over um over posts that have been taken down that she's spent hours preparing that are you know might just be something educational that uh you know in this day and age is ridiculous that we're not able to publish this type of content and have that sort of conversation compared to what else ends up on these platforms that um is somewhat okay so yeah it's it's quite interesting yeah yeah sorry i sort of uh cut you off there i, I get i get triggered when it comes to uh, uh online uh, censorship so um I was trying. I'm holding it back. I'm holding it back, Nick. But tell me, um, tell me about. You were sort of talking about um, the branding strategy. So you got Yuli uh, and Stagger, and um, you know the. So Yuli, you've kind of identified, um, I guess, your key persona or group or persona group that you're sort of wanting to speak to through that brand, and and Stagger for men. Um, so Yuli's interesting. You know, it's plural. It's a, plur, a plur, pluricity within yourself. You know, you sort of. Well, I suppose I can relate to that a little bit. As sort of, you've got your public life, your private life. You've got um, the version of you and your relationship, the version of you amongst your family, your friends, your career, and stuff like that. Is that is that kind of the the context, or am I sort of reading into it completely out of context? No, that's um. You know, you were looking at providing you healthcare whenever you need it at any stage of your life. You know, whether that's 10 p.m. at night and you need to access a, a thrush treatment or you need to access an emergency contraception at, at some time, uh, I think we're looking to be there for every version of you, really, and speak about those topics that, uh, let's say, maybe some versions of you <laughs> don't don't talk about in, in the public eye. So, yep. uh, yeah, I guess, you know, that kind of resonates with how we're talking and the way that we're leading, trying to lead conversations for women. And, and, and how's, that, how's that brand resonating with... Um with the uh, cohort that you're you're actively marketing towards, it's been fantastic, and and we, you know, I think it's the right time, or it's a good time to be, you know, speaking about women's health issues and speaking about, you know, there's a strong movement uh, around body positivity and talking about women's sexual health and uh, menstruation and things like that, which uh, you know, I guess have been taboo topics in the past, and so we're getting a lot of support from. Um, a particular group of young women and influencers and, and other people who, uh, you know, who who really agree with and stand for what we're talking about. And we see it as our role to initiate some of those conversations. Um, you know, we've, we've worked with places like Share the Dignity where we've you know done a month of um, that all our sales, you know, contributed donation to Share the Dignity who have just recently rolled out, um, you know, free period products into schools around Queensland and, and doing things like that, which, you know, our audience also really resonate with and, 
and um, you know, support the, the mission that, that Yuli is on for uh, women's health and the education process. I think for us, we're, you know, as a brand, it's about those conversations that are not necessarily related specifically to our products. And I think that's the key thing. You know, we talk about, yes, we make it easy to get contraceptive pill. Yes, we make it easy to get emergency uh, contraception. But as a brand, we're trying to talk about something bigger than that. Uh, I think that's what resonates really well with our audience and why they're on board for the journey that Yuli is on as a brand and as a company. That's great. That's great. And and on the um, cohort for the uh, men, um, Stagger, tell me more about the thinking into putting together that that particular branding strategy. Yeah, so Stagger, uh, is it, men's health is an interesting one, right? Because I think there's a slow shift uh, for men to start talking more about their health. Um, but it's certainly not at the stage at where women are uh, in terms of talking about sexual health and things like that. So, you know, Stagger kind of takes the same approach, but the Stagger cohort or the customers in the men's health space uh, don't necessarily want to talk about it as much as the women do. So, you know, Stagger plays a similar role to Yuli in that we want to, um, you know, become a go-to for uh, talking about men's health issues. And, uh, you know, say like mental health is something that the men are now at a stage of being able to probably more openly talk about. You know, you see a lot of sports. Um, stars and celebrities who are talking about openly about mental health struggles with men. Uh, and so there's that conversation that's starting to happen, but uh, males are still in a stage where, you know, they won't talk about sexual health issues and uh, in, in a public space. And so, um, you know, for Stagger, there's less of a community that's willing to openly talk about it. So it's interesting because our content strategy for Stagger um, actually has to differ quite a, a bit because, you know, it, Male influencers, even if they have a um, a tagline in their profile about being uh, inf- interested in, in positive male health discussions, uh, certainly don't want to talk about erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or hair loss, and so and don't want to be associated in a lot of cases with those types of issues. So um, it's quite interesting. And so Stagger again is trying to go through this, uh, or is focused on how we become a brand that represents and starts those conversations for. Uh, men from 18 to 40 years old uh, and how we align with uh, people who do want to have those conversations. And so um, while the branding strategies are effectively, you know, at their core kind of the same, uh, the messaging and the things and the people that we can talk about and the community we can have involved in that conversation are, are still a bit different in Stagger. And so, uh, you know, it'd be great to see men's health actually, uh, and particularly sexual health and topics like that uh, become more widely spoken about, you know, over the, over the coming years compared to, um, you know, where they are now and, and, and reach that level that women are in terms of being comfortable talking about certain things. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, um, having, um, business and brands, uh, such as the ones under the, uh, uh, the midnight health, uh, banner, um, will go towards helping that, you know, sort of breaking down those barriers and hub health. Um, who are you targeting there? Is that sort of, uh, gender oriented or sort of more broadly? Is it about a particular medical service? No, so Hub Health is, um, I guess, gender agnostic. And and if anything, maybe catering to, catering to a slightly older demographic. Um, so Hub is kind of more of a medical clinically led brand. Uh, and so Hub is going to be talking a lot more about you know, everyday health, how you can improve your overall health, how you can you know, treat chronic conditions. Um, look at areas like that where we can become more of a medical content resource as opposed to, uh, I guess, a brand with a, a big voice that, that talks about specific issues. And so Hub is really catering to older demographic people. You know, we're, we're working on health management programs at the moment for various chronic conditions. We're looking to have Hub as kind of 
the, the central brand that has access to all of the healthcare products and services that we provide. Uh, and so, yeah, Hub is kind of approaching the market more as your um, you know, your medical expert who's there to help you and, and help you navigate the healthcare ecosystem. Fantastic. So um, <clears throat> branding, um, thinking about the personas or, or developing a cohort strategy, speaking specifically, this is really in the marketing domain, isn't it? This is like really, this is Nick's wheelhouse, you know, bring it to the table on how to actually identify the right way to communicate with a, with a target uh, persona. Um, and and I'm, I'm glad you sort of shared those insights with us uh, because it's one of those things where I think healthcare has got a long way to go. Um, there's still uh, there's still a really dominant paradigm in healthcare to just um, speak as a healthcare provider. So, you know, um, I am a fill in the blanks type of healthcare provider and this is the services I provide. Um, and it's very technical, it's factual, it's correct, but is it really resonating with, um, with uh, the type of uh, patient or, or client that a healthcare provider is, uh, is interested in engaging with because that's how you build your service model is to sort of target your ideal fit as far as who, who your customer is, who, who are you really well equipped to serve and provide a lot of value to. I think that gets lost a lot in healthcare and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing change and I, and I think it will progressively change. Um, but we sort of need to go a little bit past um, a whole bunch of sort of Google certified AdWords consultants running around the healthcare industry going, hey, you know, choose me to do some AdWords for you. It's, 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 it's more than that, isn't it? You know, or, or what's your take on it? Yeah, well, I think part of the challenge is that, I mean, as you said, most people who've, who've been building digital health related businesses have been healthcare professionals. And so, um, you know, there's, there's that uh, aspect to it. But the way that we've accessed care and the way that people have uh, you know, brought customers into their environment has also shifted as we move into, you know, digitally led healthcare businesses. So I think that plays a role as well. You know, when most customers are coming straight to your clinic or that's how you effectively acquire a customer into your business, um, then you don't necessarily think about how do we build a brand that attracts people uh, using other types of marketing strategies as well. And so I think that plays a, a really key role in why we, why I guess to date, you know, the majority of uh, even online healthcare businesses that have taken that kind of clinical brand approach and, and almost have more of a transactional um approach to how they market or present their business and so i think we find that that changes because you know more and more people are consuming health consuming healthcare content online you know they're looking for online healthcare services and as we move into the digital environment now all of a sudden uh, you know we're presented to in every other aspect of our lives great brands who have great messages who have you know, represent something more than just a, a transactional um, interaction like it does when we go to a doctor or to the pharmacy, you know, in an offline world. And so uh, it's something that we can do in a digital environment that you can't do in, in a physical world. Uh, and so I think that that's, um, you know, that resonates or, or creates an opportunity for us to do something more than just uh, create a white website with a small logo at the top and a, and a pretty, you know, basic uh, transactional um, approach. So, yeah, I think that there's, there's a couple of things there that uh, you know, now as we move into this, this new world of, of accessing healthcare that we can, um, you know, we can do something more with it. Yep. hundred percent. So, um, I guess that's a good segue into, you know, what is the midnight health experience? You know, um, what's the customer journey like? So for us, it's, uh, you know, one of our, one of the points in our mission statement is around simplifying patient experiences. And so 
while healthcare is a complex beast to navigate, as we all know, uh, you know, something that's, that's really at the heart of what we're trying to do is really improve the patient experience. So, you know, for us right now, if you come in to access uh, a script or a medication, uh, you know, we try to do that in as little steps as possible. So, you know, a customer will come in, um, they'll complete a questionnaire for the condition-led treatment that they're looking for. Uh, that questionnaire will go through to one of our GPs. Uh, the GP will review that, have a text-based consult with them if necessary, uh, and then issue an e-prescription and that medication will be delivered to their door. Uh, so we try to make that as seamless as possible, uh, deliver repeats each time they do. Uh, and then as we integrate more and more healthcare services like pathology, radiology, and specialist referrals uh, and health management programs for chronic conditions, uh, you know, there's a key focus for our business to ensure that everything is as seamless as possible and, and the back end can do the hard work and navigate the, the ecosystem while the patient has a nice seamless experience. Yeah, that's, um, that's really great. And um, I love the uh, text-based uh, communication uh, that is uh, asynchronous. Um, yes. which it means obviously that, uh, the, um, communication exchange happens, uh, when convenient for the patient. Um, and that is something that traditional healthcare doesn't, can't really offer, uh, because you have to come in for the appointment at the agreed time. And that's the only way you can really engage with it. So that's a major differentiator, isn't it? Yeah. So we actually... In planning the business out, we actually have a point that we've made as a and as a company in terms of our priorities, and it's to be asynchronous, asynchronously led where possible, and only synchronous as necessary. Because part of our view is that, you know, firstly, patients want to access healthcare at at a time that suits them, and the majority of our consults all come through between seven to ten p.m. at night. Uh, so, you know, most of our customers are coming in at a time when they couldn't access traditional healthcare, and so, you know, it, it proves the point essentially that you know. People want to be able to access um, care at a time that suits them when they've finished work, where they don't have to take time off to be able to try and go to the um, doctor and sit in the waiting room you know, to have their appointment. So where possible, we always focus on um, asynchronously led communication. And it also allows us to uh, provide more scalable care uh, because I think one of the other challenges that exists is that through the pandemic, you know, people have moved to video telehealth, but, you know, we, we're looking at doctor shortages becoming a, ongoing problem and continuing to get worse over time. And so if you move from a physical clinic uh, appointment to a video telehealth appointment, you're actually not saving much time or making things more efficient. Maybe you've got a minute here or there between entering a, um, a room and, and leaving, but in reality, you know, moving from in-person appointment to a video appointment actually doesn't solve a, a lot of the challenges within healthcare, doesn't allow people to access it when they wanted to. So. Um, we're really focused on how we can build scalable healthcare, how we can allow people to access it at times that suits them and building a platform that will actually allow, uh, you know, better scalability to, as I said, solve some of those resource challenges that we're expecting are only going to get worse in healthcare over the coming years. Yeah, um, 100%, 100% agree with you. I, I, I use the term digital first healthcare, um, which is basically designing your service proposition or your business model uh, to be as, um, as, asynchronous or remote or uh, via digital channels as possible while still acknowledging that there's always going to be some parts of healthcare that, that the best way to deal with that is in person. All right, so you have that as, whereas um, traditionally because the world was different when healthcare was designed, uh, we didn't have the digital overlay to the real world that we have now. Um, obviously coming in for appointments was absolutely the right way to do it. 
But now what we have is populations are dispersed, there's bigger numbers of people, um, lives are complicated, busy, um, you know, the, the scheduling is challenging, um, you know, clearly some people can't access traditional healthcare. So um, we, we need to move the front door of healthcare into the personal domain of the individual and, um, and it goes with them anywhere, anytime. Um, and they're able to engage with it. So I think asynchronous is a, is a fantastic way to think about designing those types of uh, business models. I was going to ask you as well, because uh, you talked about uh, messaging um, uh, in that context. And, um, um, you know, there's kind of been, you know, telehealth as a terminology has really, you know, erupted over the last uh, two years. And, uh, um, you know, there are different kind of uh, um, real world experiences of that, you know, um, GPs said they did telehealth, but they really did telephone health. Um, you know, Allied Health did telehealth, but it was appointments online. Um, using messaging is really part of telehealth as well. Um, what's what's your definition of uh, telehealth um, broadly? I'd be interested to sort of you know get your take on how you're looking at telehealth. Well, I think it it encompasses um, any of the forms of healthcare that use a form of telecommunication. Uh, interesting point that you made there is I went to a digital health festival uh, that you know a, a few people listening to this probably went to um, earlier in the year and I was interested interesting to see the statistics on how many uh, telehealth build appointments were actually just phone calls uh, you know I think there's around 90 or over 90 percent of telehealth um, transactions within Australia are just phone calls uh, because of the reluctance of GPs to shift to video or also the um, the patients in not having the technology and, and various other aspects. So, you know, I think telehealth more broadly, is certainly not just phone calls and it's also not just video calls. I think it's any, um, any communication platform that we use to access um, healthcare. And I think, you know, and then if you take a step up further than that, you know, I think a lot of people have um, put telehealth into the bucket of digital healthcare and, and think digital healthcare is telehealth. Uh, and again, it's, it's not, you know, I mean, digital healthcare is so much more than just telehealth. So, um, you know, I think some of these terms get pigeonholed into certain things because that's the way that they're, um, they've been adopted at the start. But, yeah. you know, we need to think as an industry and um, at a global scale, you know, what they actually represent, you know, at a, at a more broad level and not limit them to being something that's, um, you know, something that's as specific as just being a phone call or just being a video consult. Um, because as I said, you know, there's asynchronous, there's synchronous, there's video, text, you know, phone calls, there's... Um, all sorts of things. So we need to need to encompass all those into how we view those as a um, as a category, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I kind of just um, uh, in simple terms, I, I I see the term telehealth as just meaning healthcare from a distance would be a way to put it. And then how it comes into well, phone, video, yeah. chat, you know, messaging, other types of engagement tools online, etc. Um, but what is it? It's really um, it's it's overcoming the physical um, proximity uh, challenge. Like we, we no longer need to be in the same place at the same time. Um, and so from a distance is probably the best way that I um, could explain it or relate to it. So tele, I think it comes from the Latin meaning from a distance or something along those lines. So the patient experience is from a distance. Uh, it is uh, at a time and place that suits the patient. Um, it is uh, in part asynchronous. Uh, there are some other touch points in between. I'd imagine that um, you've kind of built into the mix. How does the patient, um, what's the um, commercial model? Is it a 
pay as you go? Is it um, subscription? Is there membership? What's 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 the business model that you're adopting? Or um, if not today, do you have any you know views for other things down the road as well in that area? Yeah. So right now it's just on a transactional basis. Um, so people coming in for a doctor's consult pay twenty five dollars. Uh, and then they just need to pay for the medication that they're prescribed uh, when they come to take that. So, um, you know, we, we've tried to basically bring doctor's consults down to the lowest price that we could um, so that we would make it cheap enough that, uh, you know, in most cases match the gap that someone might pay when they go to a, a clinic anyway or make it cheap enough to for us to be able to provide a service privately um, given that we can't use Medicare uh, and so that it's cheap enough that the convenience uh, kind of outweighs the process of going and sitting in the dealing with that in terms of um, you know the time it takes from your day and wait times for appointments and those types of things so um, you know, we managed to get doctor's consults down to $25 uh, and then the medication delivery ultimately is, is is pretty on par with what you would pay uh, at the pharmacy and then we offer free shipping on most products uh, and so that allows us to kind of have um, a pretty compelling offer that's convenient uh, accessed at any time that you want and, and not necessarily too much more expensive than any other kind of interaction. So it's all transaction-based right now. As we move into developing uh, health management programs for chronic conditions, uh, this is where we can actually start to move into developing uh, programs that do have an ongoing fee uh, as we deliver education and check-ins and um, programs across nutrition, um, exercise, you know, psychology, tie-in clinical uh, components with that, connected devices for um, tracking behaviour over time and, and uh, results towards the specific goals that we've set for those chronic conditions. Uh, and so then we'll be able to offer them on either a, a direct-to-consumer basis, but then also insurer-funded as well. Uh, and so that allows us to uh, build a new opportunity for revenue stream for our business, but then also opportunities for people to access care uh, from our platform as well. Very good, very good. So how do you feel about digital therapeutics? Is that something that's on the horizon or potentially uh, in, in the near future? Yeah, so we actually see digital therapeutics as a component of our health management programs that we're looking to um, develop. So one of the, again, you know, challenges that I see with digital healthcare that currently exists is that a lot of digital therapeutics programs uh, or companies right now sit in isolation as a standalone digital therapeutic and don't necessarily have the connection of you know, the clinical side or um, to deliver medication when needed or to develop prescriptions as needed, or maybe they only focus on one uh, area such as psychological component or the exercise component. Um, and so our view is that, you know, to be able to develop a proper health management program for a chronic condition that you need all of those elements tied into a single program uh, with digital therapeutics, just forming a part of what the overall program delivers. Uh, so we certainly have, uh, we're currently developing uh, some digital therapeutic programs at the moment uh, across some uh, specific chronic disease areas, uh, but they're gonna form a part of what our overall health management program um, is to ensure that people are getting the medication that they need uh, when they want it, that they have to check in to GPs um, throughout the course of that, uh, and that they're, they're receiving um, like the recommendations and the content and the check-ins um, across a broad range of um, categories as opposed to just one in isolation. So, um, you know, I think the next stage of digital therapeutics and health management programs is to get to the point where they're part of a whole ecosystem and not just being a standalone app that treats one thing. Um, because in reality, right now, in its current state, you might have to have you know, 10 different apps on your phone to manage 10 different things. If you want to get your prescription, you want to get your medication, you want to have an exercise program, a mental health, um, psychological program, you want to have a program um, that deals with diet as well. You know, and right in its current state, in the current environment, 
need to have all of these things in isolation. So our view is how do we play a role in bringing those together um, to achieve a better better overall healthcare outcome. Yeah, and I'd imagine that um, you've got um, um, this is where I guess the health tech side comes into it. You'd be thinking about um, in uh, in your stack, in your tech stack, on how you actually are able to interoperate with these various um, niche capabilities. Uh, so you're not just a healthcare provider, are you? You're not you're not necessarily just a uh, from a distance healthcare service provider. You're actually thinking about how to how to bring these. Um, bespoke, fragmented little bits and pieces of uh, value together and make it really easy for the patient. Is that, is that sort of a fair summary? Yeah, that's the um, that's at the heart of everything that we are focused on doing as a business you know, as we plan for what's our long-term roadmap look like, what's our big vision for our healthcare ecosystem look like. Um, that's also the most challenging part. You know, there's a reason why people only focus on one thing at a time because it certainly comes with its own challenges, particularly in, um, you know, the Australian healthcare system and and the fragmentation of everything that sits within it, um, but ultimately our core focus as a business is become, you know, is really being the technology that pulls all those things together uh, in a single environment to improve continuity of care, to ensure that there's an alignment between goals across different practitioners and, and that we're monitoring the right things in a single environment and ultimately building the most comprehensive patient health record about you. Um, because as we all know, you know, our patient health record right now sits in isolation in many different locations. My health record hasn't exactly achieved, you know, the, the goal maybe that they set out to achieve. Uh, and so there's a real opportunity for the people who focus on integrating all of those services um, as mammoth as a task as it, as it is uh, to become, you know, a really great central point for actually understanding um, you as an individual and how we can deliver the best care across um, all these various aspects of health uh, and not, and, and, you know, and the key thing is not, um, you know, supplementing but complementing existing healthcare practitioners as well, which I think is important. You know, as you said before, it's digitally led health, but you know, we we certainly see and and need, we need to focus as a business on integration with offline practitioners as well, because at the end of the day, we don't see ourselves being able to replace them, but ultimately just helping consumers get access to care uh, and move in and out of the the virtual and offline environments um, seamlessly. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just on the um, challenges of trying to bring a whole system together, it is it is mammoth. Um, but I think um, one of the strategic um, elements of um, why why I built Core Plus was to just take a significant but a part of that problem, which is actually provider to provider communication and provider to provider um, interoperability. Um, but back in uh, 2009, 2010, when we were sort of um, establishing the um, the first version of the product, I was anticipating that the midnight healths of the world were going to come, that it was just a matter of time before the B2C side was going to be focused on to make it make the patient experience a one-to-many experience. And then that would naturally come together with a product like Core Plus, which is doing the same thing, but at, on the supply side, that being the health provider having a one-to-many relationship with other health providers. And there's so much opportunity that can be unpacked. But I think trying to be one thing to um, the whole thing is just important. Government can't do it. Uh, they've got a lot more resources than um, us respectively. Um, Google can't do it. It's got a lot more resources arguably than, than <laughs> a lot of countries 
So um, we do need to have an ecosystem mindset and we do need to figure out how to interoperate technically so that the patient experience and the provider experience are as simple and easy as possible uh, and we're not sort of throwing all these you know, portals and logins and, um, you know, not, it's not just a bad experience, but it's also data, it's security, you know, it's privacy. There's a lot of, a lot of sort of compounding effects that, um, uh, will continue to persist unless we can actually make it easier for each one of those key stakeholders to have a one-to-many relationship with, um, everything that they need within the context of their experience, uh, as well. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, couldn't agree more. I mean, ultimately, I think, you know, interoperability and collaboration between um, players in the healthcare industry is what needs to happen. Uh, you know, even as I, as I speak to you now about, you know, our vision to build a complete health ecosystem, for us, it's actually, you know, a large part of that is integrating with existing providers uh, within the industry, within the ecosystem, uh, not necessarily building everything from scratch, but providing a central point that can actually connect to those those different environments, whether it is the offline appointments or, uh, you know, the practice management software or the, the people who have built the connected medical devices um, you know, to track that behaviour over time. It's, um, you, you know, there's things like at-home testing uh, solutions that we've talked to, you know, at-home diagnostics or other tools like gut microbiome analysis with the relationship that we've established with Microba, uh, who are based here in Brisbane as well. Uh, so I think, you know, we see a role for us to not necessarily build all of the things, um, but be the connector that brings them together. And I think that's the, that's the piece that's missing, um, you know, while everybody's built a lot of great individual technology, they're all sitting in isolation. And as you said, creating a situation where we have separate logins for everything, we have separate health records for everything. And so for us, it's how do we play a role of bringing those things together and establishing the relationships with the healthcare industry to be able to do that. Uh, and so I think that's the, you know, that's what needs to happen uh, for us to be able to create a better patient experience and and actually you know and get to a point where we share data and that we're um, you know in a safe and, and um, consent way consenting way um, but you know ensure that we actually get people to have the best overall health outcome because there is a level of interoperability between platforms which doesn't currently exist and the only yep. person that suffers from that is the patient themselves right yep hundred percent and and health providers as well because they they have to do the extra admin time and effort in order to keep up with all the uh all the logins and all the um interfaces that they have to work yeah. through in order to just um you know just work and, and be part of the industry i guess two two um two final questions nick um just before we um wrap up for the day um what's emerging in healthcare you you sort of touched on i think uh biome um and sort of focusing on those areas so um that's particularly exciting. Um, tell us about biome and and um, are there any other sort of you know emerging uh, uh, treatments or um, complementary um, goods uh, that can support therapeutic outcomes? Look, I think the first is around you know let's say uh, maybe take a step up from the gut microbiome and say in general I think precision healthcare uh, unit has come a long way and we're getting to the point where there's a really great opportunity to start using some of the um, testing and diagnostic tools that are being developed to move into the precision health space. Uh, and so, uh, as I mentioned, yeah, we're, you know, our first kind of foray into that is with uh, a company called Microba, who has developed um, their own proprietary analysis pipeline for the gut microbiome. Uh, and so a company like Microba has a really great technology for um, understanding your gut microbiome once you take their test uh, and being able to, to identify the key markers that are you know, not necessarily leading to great gut health for you or 
areas that we could improve to improve your overall um, gut health. And so we're working with Microba to um, develop a product, which means that the output from their test actually now turns into a precision supplement um, that will improve your gut health based on, um, you know, personalized compound uh, that our pharmacists develop. And so I think overall, uh, you know, that's one great example of um, precision healthcare, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of companies right now uh, that have great testing capabilities that don't necessarily turn into an actual um, commercial product outcome for a customer to be able to improve their health in that area. Uh, and so, yeah, I certainly think there's a, over the coming years, we'll see a lot more of that. Uh, we'll see people like us playing a role in how do we take you know, somebody else's scientific capabilities and turn them into an actual product to improve somebody's health. Uh, so that's certainly an area that I find, um, you know, really exciting and interesting. And the second area, uh, you know, which we look at, you know, we want to play a, a pretty key role in over time is in preventative health. So I think, you know, we're getting to the point where, uh, you know, there's a lot of great, um, I guess, algorithms and data analysis tools and, and capabilities that people have developed now to start looking at a cohort of uh, individuals and identify, you know, who's susceptible to a chronic disease, who's showing, um, you know, si early signs of prediabetes and um, or likely to have cardiovascular disease, things like that. And now the challenge is that we're now at the point where we, I guess have the algorithms to be able to do that, but actually accessing the customer data and the patient record to get access to that information is, is the next challenge that exists within healthcare. And so, you know, by building a, a, a complete patient health record, uh, you know, there's an opportunity for businesses like ours and, and like others who, who are capturing these customers and help them provide them other services to move from, um, you know, just providing care when somebody's sick or needs it to actually understanding a, a patient uh, health record and profile and being able to move into the uh, preventative health space and, and prompt people, um, I guess, getting tested or getting care earlier to prevent diseases. Uh, and I think we'll see a lot more of that uh, over the coming years as well. And um, as we start to get to a better environment of interoperability and, and, and patient health record um, consolidation. Yeah, absolutely. And what about, and what about things like um, CBD, CBD oils, things of that nature. Yeah. Are you seeing an opportunity for for that in your model as well? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, so, you know, that's another uh, brand that you've probably seen based on that comment is kind of sitting part for us at the moment. I, I, uh, I saw a reference really... to it. I saw a reference to it. Yeah. And, um, and there are a number of people within the uh, health tech X community and, uh, and uh, um, my network that um, are talking to me a lot about uh, CBD oils yeah. and um, and so I've 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 delved into it um, and uh, kind of analysed um, what its potential is and both you know in terms of um, therapeutic benefits but uh, also commercial opportunities for healthcare provision as well. Um, but yeah, tell yeah. tell me more about your your thoughts. Yeah, so I mean, in the CBD space is interesting because uh, in February last year they changed uh, this the um, regulations to move, uh, I think, up to 150 milligrams per day of CBD oil as moving to Schedule 3 and no longer requiring a prescription. Uh, that being the case, uh, there's still no uh, approved product, approved Schedule 3 product to actually um, be sold over the counter in pharmacies. Uh, and so we're, um, I guess, ultimately for us, we see that as a really, a really great opportunity. Uh, I think you know, there's a few players in the market right now uh, focused on the prescription-based um, CBD and THC products, uh, we see an opportunity to, I guess, let them play in that space and wait until the first uh, over-the-counter products are available, uh, which we're expecting should be, um, you know, sometime within the next six months 
uh, based on conversations I've had with a few of their manufacturers uh, around the clinical trials that they've been going through. And so I think once we move into a schedule three environment uh, where we can purchase it over the counter um, with, a, with a review by the pharmacist, similar to the way that we do emergency contraception, uh, I think there'll be a, a really great opportunity. Uh, I think about 83% of the um, prescriptions that are currently written for CBD oil uh, under the 150 milligrams range, which means that the majority of people currently accessing will actually be able to um, access it over the counter. Uh, and then the other thing that, the other dynamic that I'm interested to see that will occur from that is how many people start adopting this uh, when we remove the barriers to having to get a prescription. And I think that's where we'll see uh, a really big uptake of people who are dealing with things like um, with you know chronic pain and, and other challenges and sleep issues and those types of things, anxiety, which can be um, you know, improved through the use of CBD. And so I think we'll find a lot more people who maybe don't want to go to the doctor to get a prescription, but when it's over the counter at their pharmacy, are willing to give it a try. And so I think there's a, there's a whole market there that we don't understand what the size of is yet. And it'll be really interesting to see once that launches. But um, yeah, certainly an area that we're looking to um, play in once that becomes available. I think it's a massive opportunity. There's a lot of, um, uh, let's call it natural demand within the community. Yeah. And, um, you know, the therapeutic benefits um, are pretty well established. So it's really just uh, unfortunately uh, living in a very overregulated country like Australia, it's just going to take a little bit of time for the regulators to go through their, uh, their processes. Um, but a massive opportunity. And I think also from, a, from a, uh, a proficiency in terms of marketing, you know, the, the affiliate opportunities to be able to keyword position uh, around all sorts of domains that are already out there. Uh, and provide pathways for people to actually get access to healthcare that's actually um, able to diagnose and support using those types of um, interventions. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a valuable idea, I think. So uh, yeah, we'll see we'll see how it unfolds and in what sort of time frame it unfolds. But um, um, any 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 last thoughts on that? Uh, no, look, I, th- I think yeah, you know, as you said, Australia is a very regulated industry, and I think you know we have challenges that exist within. TGA regulations, we have challenges that exist within even delivering digital healthcare in general, right? And so I think as people in the healthcare industry, particularly in the digital healthcare industry, we just have to look at how do we navigate that in a safe way and in a way that uh, ultimately fits the regulations and the environment that we exist within. So, uh, you know, I think we, we talk about it in our office that we're, you know, we're probably building a, a complete healthcare ecosystem in, in one of the countries in the world that's maybe the worst to be or close to the worst to be building one for. So, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, but it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's a fun challenge nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I get a sense of um, what that discussion would be like. And uh, But look, if you can do it here, you can do it anywhere. Um, so, Nick, thanks so much for um, sharing your uh, your journey with Midnight Health and, um you know, some of the, uh, the great work you're doing within the uh, sub brands and pretty exciting emerging, uh, emerging opportunities there for you as well. I'm looking forward to, you know, tracking your story and uh, um, it'd be good to get you back on in the future as some of those other things come online. Um, we can talk about that as well. Um, and also for doing your bit, I guess, to um, provide a, uh, uh, a, a lower barrier access experience for uh, members of the community who uh, perhaps um, are reluctant to engage with the traditional uh, interfaces with with healthcare. Um, So um, looking forward to seeing how things unfold. And uh, thanks again, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me and um, I look forward to the next one. 
Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.